BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's Thursday, November 21st. I'm looking at the headlines. They're all, we follow the president's orders. Uh, Gordon Sundland uh, testified yesterday in Congress, basically saying what we all knew. Uh, Donald Trump was shaking down the president of Ukraine. But that's not what we're talking about today. It could be, it's funny, all day long we haven't talked about that because what's on uh, my mind is the presidential debate, the Democratic presidential debate. Uh, if the Democrats are going to unseat Donald Trump, it was probably somebody on that stage uh, last night in Atlanta who will do it. I've got two of the greatest political minds in the city of Chicago, state of Illinois, in the studio with me. And as we always do on bonus time, I ask my guests to introduce themselves. So I'm going to start with this guest right here. Introduce yourself. Samina Mustafa. I ran for Congress in the 5th Congressional District of Illinois. I'm actually launching my own podcast in a couple of weeks called Hand Her the Mic. It's a podcast centering women of color, produced by women of color, Excited to be back. That's correct. All right. Muller agrees with you. Uh, guest number two. Hi, I'm Latisa Wallace. I ran for lieutenant governor um, in the 2018 cycle. I'm a former state representative and trying to live up to what you said about being one of the best political minds in the state I, and in the city. That's I, correct. Uh, I know that's going to be an outstanding uh, show that you have, uh, Samina. And I always say this to my guests, uh, these two did very well by bringing them back as much as I can, even though you have your uh, 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 podcast of your own. The last time you were on this, uh, in this room talking about the politics, very popular feature in the show. So even if you're a superstar with your own podcast and you get your own podcast, you're still coming on my podcast. We, we appreciate it, Ben. Thank uh, you. All right, Letisa, just update people a little bit about yourself because uh, people have asked me, is she going to run for office again? Or, you know, what's the, you were the state rep, you ran, ran with young Daniel Biss, uh, for yes. as lieutenant governor. Uh, so what's your, uh, just update people on Latisa Wallace. Well, I'm the president of the Get My 15-Year-Old Son Out of High School Club um, <laughs> and on to the university of his choice. <laughs> that is uh, the biggest campaign that I'm running right now. It's about a two and a half year long journey that we have left. And then who knows what that four years at university will be. Um, so I've been focusing on being a mom, still dabbling a little bit in commentary. Um, I recently endorsed uh, a presidential candidate uh, went with who I truly wanted to go with in 2016. So I'm being true to myself and supporting Bernie this go round. But that's really about it. I'm not eyeing any um, future run for myself. All right, we'll hold off on that one. I went through a similar phase uh, in the 90s and O's. Uh, when my kids were growing up, and uh, so I know the sort of it's, the, hard, yeah, it's a phase of existence, and it was a lot. I loved the phase, you know. I was coaching like crazy, and it was a lot of fun hanging with them. Well, but, yeah. I've had this reoccurring nightmare for over twenty years that I had to go back to high school because I finished high school early. And every time I have this nightmare, I'm wherever I am at that point in life. But somehow someone says, your high school diploma is not valid. Oh, my God. You have to go back. Well, my son being in high school is the realization of that nightmare. It's like every day, did you do your homework? What's going on? I, yeah. Wow. 2022, man. Oh, man. I have that. I have that, Sometimes I have that nightmare where I'm like, oh, my God, there's this test I didn't study for. Or the whole quarter is, you know, talk about my college career. Well, let's not go there. All right. Let's uh, let's take the, the deep dive on the debate. Uh, last night's debate uh, in Atlanta. I have a number of categories I want to uh, address. Uh, we're going to start with uh, 
Joe Biden, gaffes and presumptions is the general headline. And Samina, I'll start with you. And then Leticia, you give your thoughts. Joe Biden's performance in last night's debate. So he, hmm, he, he was Joe Biden. It was Joe being Joe. He, the, probably the most famous gaffe he made was when he was asked about Me Too, he quickly changed the subject to, to domestic violence. And then, as we were just talking about before we got on air, kept punching the air in a discussion about domestic violence. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, I, I find it really staggering that he's still in the race doing what he does. Um, but the other piece that we wanted to address, and we, you know, I'll let uh, Latisa expand on, is the fact that he comes to this sort of quote unquote front runner status because the assumption is that he um, has the support of black voters and that he can maintain it, which I, I doubt. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, the whole Me Too shift to domestic violence was, was interesting. Even though both are definitely rooted in sexism and, and patriarchy, it was interesting that he was specifically asked about Me Too, and then he went and pivoted into his work on college campuses, if you will, around educating people about domestic violence, and then used the language of how we have to punch it out, and then literally kind of punched. Um I'm not sure what that was supposed to gain him last night, but I think survivors like myself were probably like, what the heck? Um, And then the notion that he was added to President Obama's ticket because of his relationship with the black community was just, it was laughable. Mm. Um, I believe that it just completely tried to rewrite history. He was there because as a black front runner or as a black top of the ticket, um, Obama had to have someone that was kind of appealing to, you know, to white, white America. People. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there was Uncle Joe who could be, you know, brutally honest and say things that maybe, you know, President Obama or future President Obama at the time that he picked the running mate. Well, uh, you know, that he wouldn't be able to say. And so I thought it was just very, it was just disingenuous and it was uh, very disappointing to watch him do that um, on stage as I waste water all over myself. Um, Oh my. Which was totally, totally a fallacy. Oh, okay. I'm going to let you uh, clean that up. A little water spilled here. We're all good. I hope the phone's okay. Uh, That is an excellent point. Uh, Letitia, you made. I'm just absorbing it Go ahead and as we speak. Oh my goodness, uh, folks! Oh, no. um, it's good thing that the camera's not on. That's yeah. all I'm gonna say. Yeah, no, uh, no, no. It's just water. That's a good news. Water. It's, you it's look, just water. You look silent. <laughs> Letitia still looks good. <laughs> Letitia, you know, uh, but the, the good point that she raised is that he has flipped it on its head. And I hadn't thought about it till you said it. Yeah. It's so true. He is not right now using his connection uh, to Barack Obama uh, to uh, booster his support among black voters. And he's doing very well among black voters, at least relative to the other candidates. Uh, At the same token, the whole reason Barack Obama took him in the first place was because he's the quintessential white guy. It wasn't like Barack Obama was like, let me try to think of what vice presidential candidate I could pick out there that could really connect with black people. I know I'll take a, uh, the senator from Delaware. No, it was just the opposite. Barack Obama knew he had the black vote because he was Barack Obama and he picked Joe Biden because he needed the white vote. Yeah. The other piece of that is, and and I don't think enough folks have maybe uh, caught on this, is the fact that Biden was getting essentially, as it were, me tooed early on in his race. There was a, a lot of talk of him making um, inappropriate statements, touching inappropriately, and not not getting to the point where anyone's accusing him of assault, but certainly harassment and, and crossing a line. So the fact that he essentially ignored that question when it is something he frankly needs to address. So that's one. Second piece is going back to the issue of black support. Who was the most famous Me Too, um, you know, uh, historical figure that he is in his history? Anita Hill, right? Mm-hmm. She 
Biden wanted to avoid that question oh, because yeah. it, it is one of the the yeah. blights on his record is how he treated Anita Hill and how he handled that. You know, um, it's funny that you mention that. And Latisa, I'm going to break. Such a good point. I mean, but it's funny. Like people say, "Oh, Joe Biden, he's he's uh, sliding down the slippery slope. You never know where he's going to say what he's going to do." And a lot of people think, "Well, you know, it's just like he's an old guy, you know, and so he's just losing it." But when when you when I listen to you right there, Samina, I'm thinking. It's Joe Biden trying to avoid topics that will only get him in trouble, that get him verbally in trouble. So when I ask, somebody asks him about Me Too, that triggers Anita Hill. He doesn't want to talk about Anita Hill, so he pivots to domestic violence. Next thing you know, he's... Punching the air. <laughs> punching punch the air. It, yeah, we got to punch it out, and we're going to punch the air. And I think this is um, also a really good segue to another thing about Biden, because Anita Hill was, as you said, one of the very first people to bring forth uh, the issue of sexual harassment in our country. Uh, Talk about uh, what that looks like in public service, what that looks like um, for black women. And she was dismissed. And pretty much even within this resurgence of people calling out the behavior, ignored. And then he ignored a seated senator on the stage last night. Um, by saying that the only black woman to be ever elected to the Senate is supporting him. Again, within the context of I have all the the support from the black community while ignoring Senator Kamala Harris right there on the stage. I mean, she's literally on the stage with you and you don't recognize that there have been more than one. There's been more than one woman elected black woman elected to the U S Senate. And he was alluding to the fact that a former U S uh, uh, Senator from Illinois, Carol Mosley Brown has yes. endorsed him. Yes. Is that what he was alluding to? He was to? alluding mm-hmm. to that. While ignoring. You know, kind of ignoring right, so you're standing on the stage with a seat. At so in your humble opinion, I'm going to ask you to go into Joe Biden's brain, Latisa Wallace. Uh, so I asked somebody else to go into David Duke's brain earlier. Oh, yeah, or I Serena. don't know why you were asking we going me? into these what? people's brains. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'm it's like, really... I don't know him, Ben. Don't know David. Uh, what is going on? In your humble opinion, Latissa, when Joe Biden on stage trying to show his props to black voters in America says, I have the support of the only black woman to serve in the U.S. Senate, even though to his right or left, I can't remember which one, uh, I think it was his left, Kamala Harris is standing right there, a U.S. senator from California. What's going on in Joe Biden's brain? So uh, Samina and I talk about this often. Um, We call it the superpower that women of color have. Um, It is that we're both invisible and conspicuous at the same time. Um, No doubt he knows Kamala Harris is standing there, that the senator is standing there, and that he's trying to answer this question in a way that says, I have more street cred, if you will, than Senator Booker and Senator Harris. But in doing so, he completely dismissed that here is um, a, a black woman, second one to be elected to the U.S. Senate, first black woman to win a statewide race in a huge state, um, becoming having been um, California's uh, attorney general. I just think it speaks to what I said, that oftentimes we're not recognized. We're not seen, and it's very easy to kind of dismiss that um, a black woman or or most women of color, excuse me, have been in a particular place. Yeah, and going back to sort of the his statement about that, it, the, what was even more insulting about it is that he keeps bringing it up as a, a really a slap in the face to Cory Booker and Kamala Harris in particular, saying like, you know, I've got the support or whatever. But again, at this stage, even though it's November and we've been through five of these debates, Joe Biden is still trading on name recognition. There's still a lot of people who just know who he is. And he's run for president before. We know this. (laughs) And the other component that he was, I believe he was brought on the ticket um, with Obama, 
was Obama, you know, looks a lot older now, but he looked a lot younger yeah. back in 2007, 2008. So Joe Biden gave him that sort of like gravitas that maybe folks were a little worried about. Ironically, Joe now strikes folks as a little um, out of touch and out of date. Um, and I know there's some people who might look at even what Booker said about um, and I think we're going to talk about it, the sort of legalization of marijuana and saying, like, were you high and, and might, you know, perceive that as an ageist attack. But again, it's one of those things where Joe Biden is so used to being in control and in the lead and having people just sort of give him the benefit of the doubt. And it, it's so clear that he isn't even his own people aren't testing him. He's not battle tested for the debate stage. Um, it's funny because there were a couple of commentators on NPR talking about how he, Biden doesn't do a good job of just doing these quick quips on stage. That's the point of a debate. Say something that is going to stick in people's minds and be sharp and have discipline with your message. That's the point. That's what Sanders does. That's what Warren does. That's what the other front runners do. They, they stick to their point and they hammer it. Even if it makes them sound like they're repeating themselves, they stick to a script. Biden has to be Biden and he has to keep saying things. And that's why he gets in trouble. Mm -hmm. And he's going to get in trouble against Donald Trump that exact same way. Because Trump, for all of his weirdness, stupidity, whatever you want to call it, he repeats the hell out yeah. of himself. He says the same things over and over and over again. And that earworm stays where, I mean, it it works for yeah. that reason. I don't agree with it, but it works. Yeah. Uh, so do you think, before we leave Biden, go to Cory Booker, uh, Letitia, do you think, uh, how do you think Biden, uh, Biden quit, acquitted himself after Kamala Harris drew attention to, I don't know whether I call it a gaffe, because a gaffe implies that it was a mistake uh, as opposed to an intentional slight. And again, uh, I'm not inside Joe Biden's brain, uh, so I don't know. But how do you think he handled it? Well, he then corrected himself, right? And said, I meant the first, I meant the first uh, black woman. Um, you know, I, I don't know how he redeems himself in that for those few seconds. It, it was just very painful to watch, uh, to have a woman standing right there on the stage. And she's like, no, that's not true. I'm right here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that is kind of a, a battle cry for, for women of color all the time. I'm right here. Or would you just listen to us? Which she did a remarkable job later in the debate calling out the Democratic Party for not recognizing and listening to women of color, particularly black women who are by and large the biggest supporters of this party, yet our communities look the way they look. Um, and we have all these horrible outcomes in every, you know, index you can think of. I think she did a really great job. And last night, I think painted a visual for many people as to what it's like to be a black woman <laughs> even rising to the heights in which you're on the presidential debate stage and you're not noticed and you're not recognized. Yeah, and I think it's a really profound fact that they were in Georgia where, you know, a couple of folks brought up, you know, we should, were it not for voter suppression, we would have had been in a, in a state with the first black woman governor, Stacey Abrams. Mm -hmm. And so um, that is... And, and voter suppression finally made uh, made it to the debate um, conversation. But I, I think these things are um, are issues that candidates, black women in particular, have been bringing up for decades. So pretty much everyone on that stage has been saying, and I think Latisa and I talked about this uh, maybe at our last conversation or just uh, offline, that you know a lot of these issues, these policies, didn't start with those people on stage. They started in communities and organizers and folks. Um, who are working on these issues mm. firsthand and simply aren't getting the resources or the recognition. So f even when you get to that level, I mean, think about it. We're talking about millions of dollars, mm. the national stage, and it's like she's not even there. there. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I, 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 you know, each of us, meaning Latisa and I personally as candidates and, and as folks who have been trying to navigate the political world, have had our experiences and, I, and I'm not even going to try to um, you know, compare our, our experiences, but I know that there is a, a subset of that, which is you're not supposed to be here. That's the take home Absolutely. message. You're not supposed to be here. This isn't for you. And who are you? 
Right. Who the blank are you? And and we get that not just from, um, you know, people just who are white. We get that from our own communities because there's like a you're not supposed to do this. What do you mean you're not supposed to do this as to run for office? Yeah, run to for t- office, be confident, um, hold your head high, be self-assured, be able to speak well, be able to navigate a room and not be afraid. You're not supposed to be doing any of those things if you are a woman and if you are a woman of color. You're just not supposed to be able to do that. Well, that would be a great segue if we wanted to talk about the Amy Klobuchar uh, comment, which um, I know it was sort of a news story that kind of came and went, which was she said, I I think it was in Iowa, that, you know, if if any one of the women had Mayor Pete Buttigieg's resume, uh, they would not be at this point in their um, political uh, career. Uh, they would not be um, the at the national this, stage. They would not be at the national stage. They wouldn't be at this uh, level in the polls. And I, I got to, you know, I haven't actually found too many things that Amy Klobuchar said <laughs> that I um, really that resonate for me. She's very much the middle of the road. Um, and but you know, on this point, I think she hammered it and she was clear and she stood her ground. And I appreciated that. Um, but she made it pretty clear that you know, Mayor Pete is getting a, a huge um, sort of boost. Uh, because he is a white male. Um, now he, and this actually, we can talk about it, is he kind of, in response to Kamala's statement about being marginalized as a black woman, he said like, oh, I've had my, you know, I've been marginalized too. I'm like, listen, man, nobody, <laughs> your identities were never the reason for 400 years of slavery. Let's just be, come on, we're not trying to play oppression Olympics here, but let's get real. There aren't, there weren't housing laws. There weren't laws that kept you from voting. Like, come on, let's, let's back up and have some self-awareness. And by the way, you're responding to someone calling you out for faking support from black voters. And then you're going to (laughs) compare your persecution um, as, you know, just, it shows so little. And you're speaking someone who was a, a, a leader on LGBTQ rights, IA plus issues in California. I mean, a major leader. Right. Um, well, all right. It's, uh, you guys are extolling the virtues of Kamala Harris. I get teased mercilessly in this show when I say, mm, about to drink some of that Kamala Kool-Aid. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I think I gave you that phrase, Kamala Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. <laughs> because I was singing the praise and it probably was Samina giving me grief uh, way back when in that first debate, I want to say, when she went after Joe Biden. And I was like, oh, I'm for Kamala Harris because she came out strong. And uh, I got so much grief from my friends of the leftist persuasion, Ben, blah, 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 Ben, blah, blah, blah. So Latisa, having said all that, you know, what are your reservations about Kamala Harris? I don't know that it's um, a specific reservation about her. I think she um, is brilliant. She's tough. Um, I have some California ties, so she has a very complicated um, relationship with her state um, from her time as attorney general and um, her time in her, her career being a prosecutor. I just, I do wish, as we talked about last time, she were afforded the opportunity to be able to espouse the things that um, Bernie and Elizabeth are able to espouse and people take her seriously. And I think that goes back to the point we were kind of uh, making with uh, Amy and, and Pete, the, the notion that you can have a kind of thin resume as a man and still be taken seriously. Well, as, as a black woman, I think if she went out there as far left as Warren and Sanders are, there's no way um, people would, maybe it's not no way, but there'd be very few people who would listen and take her very seriously about it. So she's been very pragmatic, very um, strategic, and some might say moderate and centrist um, in her approach. I personally um, am too far left to, to go along with that ideologically, but I have been, like I said before, a person who's been in office and could not go as far left as I wanted to because of how I present to the world and the, the type of area that I represented. Mm-hmm. So I understand um, why Senator Harris is not where 
um, she could be ideologically. And it really disappoints me. It really disappoints me that she's not getting the support and the traction that I think she could and should. Well, just think about it. Let's just break this down. I mean, just think about this. I mean, if to make your point, contrast Mayor Pete and Kamala Harris. Now, Kamala Harris, just listen to what Tisa said. She very carefully cultivated an image of a centrist Democrat, uh, even in the state of California, which you're given a more leeway to be a lefty in California than probably any state in the union. She very cu- carefully cultivated this image as a centrist. Uh, I mean, good God, her what her uh, political mentor is Willie Brown, who is as center as you can get in the state. He's like the Michael Madigan of California. And so it's used against her by lefties. Mm-hmm. My, my lefty friends are always like, Ben, she was so bad on uh, criminal justice issues as attorney general. She's a cop. That's what I hear. Now you got Mayor Pete carefully crafted an image as a centrist as the mayor of South Bend has been ROM-like in his use of TIF funds to promote downtown development. And he, oh, yeah, man, that's our guy. He articulates. I'm like, wait, why is it when a woman is a centrist, it's she's selling out, or a black woman, I should say, mm-hmm. is a centrist, she's selling out. But when it's a white guy who's a centrist, like, oh, what a visionary in terms of he's a new voice for the Democratic Party. Samina, help me understand that. Uh, two words, white supremacy. I don't know what to tell you, but Come on. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, <laughs> white the, patriarchy. Okay, yeah. episode's over. Sorry, yeah. guys, it's over. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, white supremacy. In the, I, don't, I mean, that's the simple answer. The more complicated answer is <laughs> that um, it, it is... Uh, it's almost like why Obama ran when he ran, right? When he ran, he had um, only, you know, barely <laughs> been sworn in as, as a senator. Um, as uh, Delmarie Cobb, DMC, as I call her affectionately, um, here in Chicago, pointed out, and she's got the number memorized, um, how many times in the state uh, Senate he voted present, Obar- Barack Obama voted present. So there wasn't um, a track record for, for many votes. So like... You know, and so like the people who could probably, and I think Mayor Pete has actually done this. He sort of like brought up the Obama, like, oh, but like Obama, blah, blah, blah. Um, here's the thing. Candidates of color, uh, particularly black candidates, are, are I, I've seen it across the board. Stacey Abrams was running against another Stacey. She had a lot of people in Georgia who were um, uh, black folks who were supporting the other Stacey, the white Stacey, as they called her. <laughs> It wasn't the white Stacy. Her name's Stacy Evans, but yeah. they were. It was like white Stacy, black Stacy, and so. Um, <laughs> but you know, and there was this great article yeah. a couple of a couple like a couple of months ago or last in the last year that really was talking about folks like Ayanna Presley, Andrew Gillum, and Stacey Abrams, and saying like you know they started off a little bit to the center or moderate, but what they found was once they got in office, they saw that oh hey we. We've got this seat at the table and we have there's a couple of different ways we could go. We could go along to get along or we can use this moment and 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 push for things and shoot our shot and and really get something done. And Stacey Abrams is somebody who, um, you know, got criticized for a few things she did as um, Senate Majority Leader in in Georgia. And then she when she came out and started campaigning, one thing I will say is she got progressively more progressive. I'm sort of redundant. But what I've seen with Gamla Harris is sort of the opposite. Like she was a little bit more moderate in in California. Once she got to the national stage in the Senate, she was a little bit more progressive. She was a co-sponsor of Bernie's Medicare for All bill, right? Mm -hmm. And now she's dialed it back. So I'd say there's some things where she sort of like pushed pushed out in front and been a leader and then things where she's dialed back. And so like if you're a longtime Gamla Harris observer, you've seen her her. I hate to use the word flip-flop, but sort of like temper her support for things. And so you, you, there's a little bit of like, are, are you, who are you appealing to? Mm-hmm. Is it donors? Somebody got in your ear. There have been some stories written and you, you, you read them about every single candidate. Let's be clear about, you know, how she's run her campaign and how it's being, um, you know, the fact that her, her sisters are chairman, like all of these things where you're like, okay, is this, was this the best way to approach this national stage? Considering, I would say, if you had asked me a couple of years ago, who's in, gonna be a top presidential candidate, I would have said Kamala Harris. Yeah. Cause she, it was clear she was being groomed. 
So I think in some ways, yes, she's getting judged more harshly. And don't even get me started on the Gumla Harris is a cop thing, because even though I have seen some issues with her, um, you know, quote unquote, the concept of progressive prosecutor, there was a guy who was just elected in San Francisco, um, and there was a guy, Larry Krasner, in um, in Philadelphia. I, I'm waiting for the day where somebody calls them a cop. I'm waiting the day for these somebody right. calls these white guys, <laughs> right. and and when they try to run for higher office, oh, Larry Krasner, he's a cop. Oh, like yeah. I'm just I'm just waiting for it. I'm yeah. waiting for it because then I, then we'll see. <laughs> then we'll see if it's really if if it's fair. Now, granted, we've got a prosecutor here in, in Chicago is our mayor, Lori Lightfoot. We've got some mixed uh, reviews about her. So, mm-hmm. is it because she was a prosecutor and uh, therefore a cop, or is it because? of who she fundamentally showed herself to be before she even got into that office. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, let's evaluate people on what they've done, what they say they're going to do, and what they stand for. Now, wait, let me break this down. I I need to hear this. Uh, You're saying something here. It's (laughs) I got to digest this. So you're right. Uh, the kid who won in California, Bowden, B-O-U-D-I-N. Yeah. Uh, I keep thinking of Bowden's bakery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's he, not, no relation. No relation. <laughs> and uh, so he is now the prosecuting attorney in San Francisco, whatever they call it, the equivalent of our state's attorney. Uh, the, the, the Krasner from Philadelphia is the prosecuting attorney. Uh, I am not, a, in fact, Bowden ran against, the Fraternal Order Police was working against him when he ran. Uh I've not heard lefties call him a cop. You're, but when a woman is a prosecutor and she runs for higher office, if you will, Lori Lightfoot, mm-hmm. she's a cop. Mm-hmm. And it comes from all angles. It comes from all angles. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Just, just ask Kim Fox. Your, yeah, Just right. ask Kim Fox. It comes from your own community. It Cook County from, State's Attorney. So yeah. is it just something that women are going to have to deal with? No, 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 no. Let's be clear. Just let's be clear it is it's black women it. i let's not skate over the racial yeah. component so in other it. words it's the, the accusation of being a cop is a deterrent to a black woman who's trying to advance from being a district attorney or a prosecutor but it's not a uh, a barrier for a uh, black man or white anybody I mean, definitely not a white anybody. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. I would I say mean, we're, it would we're be problematic to, yeah. for black men too because of the history of policing in America. Right. I mean, we cannot, you know, ignore the history of how we got to where we are with police. Um, you know, we had Watchmen um, that started in like Boston and Philadelphia in the South. It was the, the overseers, the literal plantation overseers. Um, and those populations then became what we now think of as modern day law enforcement and police officers. So there is a very racist history um, within policing and law enforcement. And so if you are black and you are deemed to be too close to that, that is going to be called out. Now, I struggle because there's, you know, we talk about intersectionality all the time. I talk about it all the time. We do act as though there are no black law enforcement agents um, and no black law enforcement at all. But overall, the system that is known as policing and law enforcement in America has a deeply racist history. And so if you are a black person that is deemed to be on the side of law enforcement that will always be something that is levied at you as an insult and as a way to uh, discredit your um, you know to to take away your street cred Uh, and I think that too was something that Biden was kind of jabbing um, Senator Harris uh, on by saying he's got more more street street cred cred, you know in the black community than than Booker or Harris. Well, we'll see how it plays out for, let's say, I'm just throwing this name out, Kwame Raul, who's now the Attorney General of the State of Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, who a prop obviously has higher aspirations, has talked about running for higher office, went from being state's uh, senator mm-hmm. to Attorney General. Be interesting. And Obama's OC. Right. Obama's. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. if they call him a cop uh, when he... I know that was that term was thrown at Lori Lightfoot oh, so many times. So often. Um, it was very frustrating to watch because 
I have, I've kind of followed this work for a while. For those of you who don't really know me well, my, my father was a 35-year veteran of the San Diego Police Force. Um, so California and how they do policing is far more progressive than what we do here in the state of Illinois. Um, there was much inspiration from some of the work and conversations I've had with my father with the policing reform bills that I put forth in the state, in the Illinois legislature. But I had seen what Lori was doing um, before running for mayor. And I guess I can share this publicly is like not a big, you know, super secret, but I did suggest her at one point, um, you know, laying out what the police accountability board was like before she got there, while she was there and what initiatives continue um, to try to address the police abuse of power and all of the things that have happened um, in Chicago, um, in the Chicago police department. And I think that was something that, you know, she did put out there. Because I, I thought that was important to kind of tell this story and tell this message that, look, one black woman, again, is not going to undo the racist history of policing in the city of Chicago. Um, but by virtue of her trying to do that work, people then deemed her as a cop and, right. you know, not caring about our community and not recognizing what the actual powers were of her previous role. Um yeah, so. no, that's fascinating stuff. I had thought about that, and uh, I will be watching to see if uh, the kid from San Francisco and Krasner from Philadelphia, when they try to move on, will they call them cops? Yeah, uh, that's a good one. I will. I'll be watching. If I'm still around, I'll definitely be watching that one. <laughs> but, but again, I mean, like like Liz was saying, the system is has inherently racist foundations and it, it is a problem but again somehow people can understand systemic racism and they can understand uh, um, structural challenges and people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders can talk about structural problems all the time but somehow and there's a phrase um, a magical black woman a superwoman is somehow to come and like mm-hmm. wave a wand mm-hmm. and and you know frankly there are some who have taken um, sort of those chances, and frankly, um, we're gonna we're gonna be honest. Like they don't make it. Like Stacey Abrams has yeah. was been kept from the governor's uh, mansion, yeah. um, and, and nobody's calling Lisa Madigan a cop. I mean, like there's just right. some. I there mean, like, go. I mean, like, let's be clear. So when we're talking about whether it's Amy Klobuchar's comment, call Alvarez a cop. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, like, well, uh, Alvarez, uh, she just she was never left the cop sphere. She just kept running for a state. <laughs> the, the, the issue is when they leave cop cop country okay, and you run true. for the Try bigger office, and yes. do, you, do you shed your identity? Or, you know, are you forever a cop throwing people in jail if you're a black woman, uh, but you're free if you're yes. a white man or a white woman to shed your identity and suddenly become Franklin Roosevelt? And, and for Senator Harris, it's even more complex, and I do not espouse to um, getting in getting into people's families and their spouses and all of that. But within the black community is very, the conversations that I've seen are very seen and heard are complicated given the fact that she's in an interracial marriage. Oh, I don't think she will ever escape um, in some people's minds from that, that notion of being 12 well, that's something else that Trump's uh, operatives are using, Latisa. We haven't had this conversation. This broke. There was a story. Well, this is it's an ongoing thing. Uh, the dispute, the debate between uh, in the African-American community, uh, Samuel Jackson raised it, uh, when black Americans don't get roles in movies, but they, uh, they'll uh, cast a black person from England. All right, for a role yeah. to play a black person, mm-hmm. um, like the feller from Get Out, whose name I'm mm-hmm. escaping right Daniel now. Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya, yeah. She knows everybody's she knows name. Samina knows everyone's name. Uh, He's playing um, Fred I Hampton. Know. He's playing Fred Hampton, which Beautiful is skin. Wait. <laughs> so time know. out. There we go. You know how to go. His name. Wait, time out. There's yeah, no Fred, black guys in the city of Chicago. So man. that that I kind of I kind of I know, you know like a hundred black guys from Chicago named Fred. But guess <laughs> what? But guess what? Okay, your so best but, but, friend. <laughs> your best friend. <laughs> this is where it gets nuanced because yeah. African American and black, while synonymous, are not the same thing. Right. Black is a diasporic term. 
black people are found across the globe, whether they were born in the U.S., Latin America, on the continent of Africa, in Europe, in Asia, they're black. Individuals who have been in the United States for generations and are of African descent are often referred to as African-American and or black. So this notion that I, I hear people talk about it all the time, but I think we have to realize that black is a diasporic term and that the black people who ended up in Southern antebellum slavery are actually the minority of the minority. Most ended up in Central and South America. They did not end up in the Southern states of the, of the U.S. Well, there's an attempt being made by Donald Trump and Donald Trump's operatives to use this as a political division to hurt the Democrats and mm-hmm. to help Donald Trump. And Letisa, my view in Donald Trump when it comes to black voters has been consistent. I've, I, Donald Trump realizes he doesn't have a prayer of winning a significant number of black votes, but what he can do is feed a sense of nihilism uh, among black voters and a sense of it's worthless, no, nobody will help me, my vote is, is a waste of time, so I won't vote. That's his greatest tool and ticket. That's what got him elected in 2016, that sense of alienation and uh, apathy and- That's part of it, the 53%. Yep. So let's say it's back to the 53% of white women that voted for Donald Trump. Oh, well, no, that's a whole other issue. A majority of white voters. get tired of black people being black. Not that that's what you were doing. You were giving a context and saying it was one of the factors. But some people take that factor and say that's the reason that we have Trump. I've seen people post that and talk about that on social media. But it's a tactic. Yes, his tactic is definitely that. That's a tactic to play like... Black people, so it comes back to Kamala Harris, this is what triggered in my mind. Well, she's not really black. Right. Right. You know, and it's like, yeah. well, she's, a, one pa- parent is Indian and the yes. other one's from Jamaica. Yeah. So there's no black in her. I mean, I've heard yeah. pe- right. Republican operatives say this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Baby Trump even tweeted that out at one point. Uh, <laughs> the Donald Trump's kid. Yeah. The one, the junior, as opposed to Eric, okay. Yeah. Uh, they're both Baby Trumps. Uh, so this is a tactic. Yes. You're right. Now, the 53% of white women, please help me that, Leticia. You've run for office a couple times. I've struggled with this uh, f- since 2016. 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. There are at least 17 women out there with accusations against Donald Trump of More sexual assault. Right. Yeah. Fifty-three. All, and it was all percent. out before the actual yeah, general absolutely. election, and uh, yeah, Again, internalized uh, sexism, misogyny is real. People who are the victims of oppressive uh, thinking and behavior can also internalize that thinking and behavior. So women, <clears throat> women can be, you know not want to see other women succeed kind of to the point that Samina and I had earlier about who do you think you are right and the other thing that I mean in 2020 um I'm a member of the League of Women Voters um we're going to celebrate our 100th anniversary it's a 100th anniversary of um the 19th amendment I mean you have some and this is a a well-known history it's becoming more and more well-known is that um, the suffragist movement was very racist. Um, the founder of the League of Women Voters, Carrie Chapman Catt, said, white supremacy shall be strengthened, not weakened by women's suffrage. Mm-hmm. Think about that. White supremacy shall be strengthened, not weakened by women's suffrage. So that was a hundred some odd years ago. And you look at where we are in terms of, you know, sort of the political and electoral realms. And of Congress is women of color. 23 point some and some change. It's probably gone down because of Katie Hill um, are are women. I mean, so let's just be clear that it's not, um, it's multifactorial (laughs) to use a fancy word to say there's a lot of things involved. But when it comes to candidates like Kamala Harris, they have several things that are coming at them. Now, are there some things that are self decisions she made herself are they self-inflicted in terms of how she's running her campaign sure 
That's true. But someone like a Mayor Pete, who literally uses a stock photo from Kenya, leaks, leaks, and I'm using air quotes because you can't see me, um, leaks a memo saying that black voters don't support him because of homophobia, which is frankly, just like, again, there was a good uh, piece, I want to say it was on the poster of the New York Times, but it's like, black voters are not a monolith. But here's what is true of voters in general. Voters like someone who looks like they're going to win. So if somebody, if someone, the media, or somebody starts casting someone as a winner, it has an impact. Just like, I mean, we haven't even talked about impeachment, but there are people who have influence and can sway people. Endorsements aren't everything. But the fact that the, the House Democrats are finally doing the impeachment hearings has changed people's opinions. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Like, right. It's not just the chicken or the egg. It is. It is. It all comes together. It's not simple. And when it comes to these 10 people who are on stage, some of it didn't make it, and Julian Castro gets my yeah. shout out for the most, the candidate who is most missed on that stage. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I know that if he was standing on stage, someone would be talking, he would be talking about uh, a Tatiana Jefferson. He would be talking about people on the border. He would be talking about police brutality. And frankly, those are some of the issues that affect all of us and really should have been talked about more. And so, especially where they give it the setting. In Georgia. Night. Yeah. A, Think about racial a terror. former plantation. Yes. That is now Tyler a Perry studio. studio. Tyler Perry Studios. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, like that's all of those things were were really uh, the symbolism was sort of lost. And think about it. Who was on that panel in terms of the moderators? Kristen Welker was the only black woman. And I think of all the moderators, I have to look and see how many women of color have even broken through and been on that. But again, who is the base of the Democratic Party? Going back to Kamala's point and and frankly, a little bit uh, of a tangent away from Amy Klobuchar's point, but it's it is communities of color. And really, at the at its base, it's black women. Well, when you get to the uh, base of the Democratic Party, that is a uh, a fascinating topic. We should just have a whole show, the three of us, on the base of the Democratic Party, what that le- uh, that what that actually means, and because it gets thrown around so much, and uh, it clearly, when I think of as, I think that uh, black voters in general are the most uh, regular Democratic voters, if you will. I'm not even yes. gonna call them loyal, because that's not fair. They're the, yes. And I, I vote the same way, because when I look at my options and what I want out of politics, for all my problems with the Democratic Party, and Latisa Wallace, I could give you a book <laughs> of my problems with the Democratic yes. Party. The, it is the only reasonable alternative yes. I have. Yes. And so I am stuck voting for Democrats unless I just drop out. And they know it. Yeah. Yeah. And they know it. So when Rahm Emanuel, your good friend, Latisa, gets <laughs> on, I just teasing. He's just <laughs> He gets up there and he goes. The Time ba- of death. The- <laughs> ben Jarofsky, 429, November 21st. When he gets up there and says, the base will just follow us no matter where we go. I'm like, right. what an insult, man. Right. It's a total insult. And what's also insulting is what you talked about before, that, that apathy. Um, because that apathy is not just born of their 5 million people running, but it's born of looking out, um, say Edmonds, uh, say Edmonds palace, the old Vista garden where I grew up or spent my earliest years in looking around that neighborhood and seeing nothing different and saying, why the hell am I voting for these people anyway? That's where the apathy comes from. And what is insulting that the Democratic Party often does is tries to guilt the black community into, well, you should vote for us anyway because of that boogeyman over there. Well, I'm just going to say this before we leave this. I'm just going to make this editorial point. And I see it in Chicago. We just came off a teacher strike. Say what you will about the Chicago Teachers Union, but those teachers went on strike to get more jobs in schools that are underserved. That's essentially what the, the, the tipping point was that forced someone to strike. The way virtually everybody in the city of Chicago with access to a public microphone or a pen painted at was a political move of vengeance mm-hmm. against 
uh, Lori Lightfoot, Absolutely. okay? And as opposed to dealing with some substantive issues that would affect people that we would demand government to do these things, they ended up conceding the powers that be, Lori Lightfoot, uh, and giving the teachers a, a relative handful of jobs, not nearly enough to mm-hmm. meet the inequities, uh, Latissa. But think of the message that went out. The message was, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, you you go on strike for eight days, give up your pay for more jobs for kids in poor schools, and they're going to turn it against you. Yes, and they're going to paint it as two black women fighting each other and completely go away from the, the core issues. Um, and our own community was saying, oh, they're doing this because Preckwinkle didn't win. That strike was coming no matter what because it had to happen because those children and the staff um, – deserve so much more. I disagree with you on that point. I'll tell you why. Had, in my humble opinion, Lori Lightfoot, when she won, just swallowed her pride and said, all right, Stacey, let's, let's, what, 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 how can we work together? I saw no evidence that any of that went on. Well, and by no matter what, I mean, I think if any mayor had not gone to the, I think if the same circumstances existed, no matter who was mayor, the strike would have happened. But people tried to make it seem as if, one particular person or another being in office was going to be the automatic cure, not knowing if that person would have gone to the table as well. I mean, we could assume they would have, but we don't know. We don't know. All right, uh, final question, and then we'll get out of here for the day. Uh, It's the Cory Booker question. Uh, My attitude toward Cory Booker was very negatory coming into that debate. (laughs) Uh, He was way too pro-charters. I was not, but whoa, hold on, Latissa. He's drinking the, he's now he's drinking the, the Corey Kool-Aid. <laughs> Did a great job last night, in my humble opinion. Get your guys' thoughts on that starting with Samina. Corey Booker punching back. Yeah, I thought he, the point on marijuana, cannabis legalization, was an incredibly important one. And I think, that's what I'm saying, like, each of the candidates had a, a role to play, and that was his role. He pushed back on Biden and he he said it, I think, forcefully and powerfully. Um, His point about gentrification was also a valuable point. So I think he he brought up some great points. I wasn't pleased with him um, going against the wealth tax, was not excited about his his opinion on that. And again, that's where I think he loses me a little bit. But overall, he when he gets his his chance, he takes it. Mm Absolutely. Well, I loved when he said, are you high? I thought you were high. That was amazing. Um, His point about the way we've gone around or gone about so-called decriminalizing and some places legalizing cannabis um, was so important. When he mentioned how, you know, you have people making the law of the land, admitting to using a drug that is still federally illegal Yet, black and brown people are still locked up as a result of that. And then you have a front runner who doesn't even want to entertain legalization. Um, him pointing out how problematic that is was, I was, I was cheering. I was pretty happy about him actually bringing bringing that point up. And he made it to the next round as a result. Uh, so good. Maybe he can uh, stick it to Joe in the next debate as well. Uh, Latisa Wallace, thank you so much. Samina Mustafa, thank you so much uh, for taking the time and come on and talk about these issues with me. I'm hoping I could bring you back for the next debate, mm-hmm. uh, which is December 19th. So put it in your book already. All right. And uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. All right? You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Us. All right. Take care, everybody. It's another bonus show on The Ben Jarofsky Show. Take care.